it. All right, thanks, Titus. Oh, you so you're not going to sit over there? No. Okay, all right. All right, I have to just have to look at that side of the church. Yeah, that's true, that's true. I'll pretend there's somebody over there. Okay. <laughs> All right, good evening. Turn your Bibles to Romans fifteen fourteen. <clears throat> Romans chapter 15, verse 14. What's that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Nigerian, what is it called? Nigerian Baptist Theological Society? Seminary. Seminary. That, those are the people that are getting our books. That's pretty wild. Well, I've been getting a lot of emails from guys. I had, there's two doctors that have been, ta- uh, I've emailed, that email me. One doctor, his name is, is, is Dr. S- uh, Dr. Salvador, and him and his wife, remember that? Yeah, yeah, you saw that email. And he said, yeah, he, uh, they, before the day, they start their day, they listen, sit down and listen to the teaching on the website. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Or on your CD. Or a CD, yeah, they go on CD. Yeah, Barbara sends them CD. So one day that'd be nice to see all these people that are getting our stuff. Yeah, it'd be interesting what, what, what would it be like. Yeah, that'd be pretty interesting. And then there's another guy, I think his name is Dr. Mancha. Yeah, his name's Vaughn, he's, and he, uh, he's been, um, I've been conversing with him a couple of things, and he's getting into our Roman series, and also the Day of the Lord series, so we have had, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, he's in America, you know, so it's pretty interesting, but uh, the, yeah, the Africa people, <clears throat> well, I sent that uh, thing out about Africa, Nigeria, and uh, the Islamic fundamentalists over there, they're killing Christians, and, and so it's kind of interesting, I don't know what part of Nigeria, because Scott Grande who <clears throat> I think what Moses would be, um, Keith Kingsley's in Africa, yeah. in Nigeria. Well, they were asking what's what part of Nigeria does does this seminary? And I, I don't know. John might know because John's the one who told me about the seminaries in Nigeria. This you know, Oga Boga. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I, we'd have to look at a map for that. I don't. I don't know. I should look at where it is. But for those people, that, those people in Africa that are listening to us. Good evening. Thank you so much for uh, being a part of our ministry. Uh, so that's pretty cool. One day it would be nice to have a conference and and have all these uh, you know these people coming in. That'd be pretty. That'd be a lot of fun. That's what we when I when I uh, you know GBC with Bob. That's what we did. And that's how I met, I met Michael Mike Fletcher. And he looks you know Mike Fletcher looks like you know he looks like Bill Gates for crying out loud. <laughs> he, he did. It for, Is that Bill Gates? Oh, good. <laughs> Take out that money, check out, take out that check button, Bill. But uh, yeah, it was pretty funny when Mike, we met Michael, and that was pretty funny. And, and Rachel from Texas, we saw Rachel, she came up here, so. What's that? Yeah, I talked to her the other day. She, she works for, keep her in prayer, she's working for a ministry, she's a secretary for a pastor. Good luck to her. Because pastors, and secretaries, and uh, the, the secretaries take a lot of, they see a lot of what goes on in the ministry because... They work closely with the pastor a lot of times. Oh, you took that care of that? Oh, good. Good. Thank you for doing that. I hate that stuff. You know, to me, it's like, oh, gosh. I mean, I love doing weddings. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I always, you know, I'll never forget the first time I had just got ordained. Now, you got to remember, I'm not thinking about anything when I'm, you know, getting ready for the ministry. and I'm just studying. 
I'm just, you know, Bob would let me sit and teach, you know, any opportunity to teach. I'm just concentrating on that. I'm never forgetting, it's like, you know, he wanted me to do a wedding for, <laughs> for him. And I was like, you know, and, and I was like, I remember at the time going, I have to, oh, that's right. It's like, I was like, oh, gosh. And the first wedding I did was like this little, small little thing outside. And I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. You know, I just so, felt so weird. I felt like, you know, it was like, am I really doing this? Like, is this like, you know, all I want to do is teach the word of God. I don't want to marry anybody. I mean, I, you know, doing this ceremony and it's like, it's, it's weird because you're going, it's like, you know, watching, you're watching a television show and you're all like, you know, yeah, I just felt like, what am I, you know, why they got me doing this? You know, it's like, I just, just never thought of it. It just was really weird. And then that first time, I mean, people, after I go to a day and after the ceremony and then during that week, you know, people call me, how you doing pastor? I was like, <laughs> what do you call me? Who are you talking to? Is Bob here? Like, I just walked around for like. It was just, like, really weird. I said, thank you. You know, they're showing me respect. You know, which is, that's awesome. But I just didn't, I just looked at myself as Bill. I wasn't even, I was so consumed trying to, like, just study and, and to teach. I was just thinking all that other stuff. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, all I wanted to do is this. I didn't want to marry, you know, marry people and all that stuff. And the fu- oh, the first time I did a funeral? The first time I did a funeral, when I, when I was out here. We, it, we was like, you know, four or five years I was out here and nobody had dropped dead on me out here, okay? Then we had that rash of funerals, like, and the first funeral, I think I did pretty good for the first funeral. I was, uh, no, the first one I ever did, well, who was the first person I, was it Anthony? I think it might have been Anthony. And, you know, those, that was easier to do than a wedding because, you know, at a wedding, you know, it's like everybody's kind of, they're ready to party. They're ready to party. And yeah. When you're humble, you get the audience's attention when somebody dies. Especially, you know, so that was, those are easy to, those are easy to do. <clears throat> but, um, you know, the wedding thing is like, uh, funeral, I, I wouldn't mind, you know, I, funeral is great because you can evangelize people. You know, there's people part of our ministry now because of funerals. So I, I had no problem with that. But I was, I remember doing it was like, Oh, that's right. Your part, you, whose funeral did you... Uh, really? Michael Wolfe's? Really? That's, the first, that's how you get exposed to it, huh? Wow, we should have more people die. We'd have more, you know... No, no. <laughs> no I mean, I just say we have more people coming in when we do these funerals if, you know, start knocking off some of these people. <laughs> well, I remember, I'll never forget when Wayne passed away. And poor Dale, I go... Dale goes, so, do you want me to drive you to the airport? I was like, geez, Dale, you really want to do that? Because the last guy I drove you to the airport dropped dead on me. So I was like, gosh. But anyways, that was, uh, it's just really weird. You know, you, you know, when you're growing up, you know, people doing, and now you're the guys doing it, you know. You're the one who's officiating the wedding and, you know. Well, yeah, I'm glad you're glad. But, uh, I mean, all I care about is I just want to teach the word of God, so... That's why now when I'm doing you know, I'm doing uh, weddings, I, I I really like to uh, starting to get more comfortable about talking about you know you know the responsibilities of the, the woman and the man about Christian marriage. Talking a little bit more during the wedding wedding ceremony, but a lot of times you know they just want to get married. You know, they get me in and get me out of here. I don't, I'm not going to sit there and be long winded and talk for a half hour about obey your husbands as under the Lord. You know, you know what cracks me up is a lot of guys they talk about and you can always tell a pastor who has a bad marriage. His, uh, his lady, he's always concentrating on what the ladies have to do and never says anything about the guys. That drives me crazy. It's like, well, you know, I think if we talked about the guys, I'll never forget somebody, some guy, some pastor came up to me and said, don't you, f-, you know, we were talking about 
something about, it was this book we were reading about men's responsibility in Christian marriage. <laughs> and so he's, this guy was asking, you know, a couple of us had read it, and they were, all of them were married except me. <laughs> so they all go, they go, so didn't you feel convicted? I said, no, because I'm not married. <laughs> I don't feel convicted at all, you poor son of a guns. I'm not even married. I don't feel convicted at all. So, you know, it kind of told me or something. So, you know, but anyways. All right, should we have Romans 15, 14? We got a great class here this evening. I was going through my notes and what I got on this. And we're going to study Romans 15, 17. And this is a really, really excellent path. We're really starting to go through something. This part of Romans 15 where Paul talks about his ministry and starts talks, talks about his attitude toward ministry. And so if, even if you're not a pastor, this is a great next several lessons, next couple of weeks, where we're going to go into the part of Romans 15 where Paul talks about his ministry and his, ad, his, his, his attitude toward it and uh, his humility, that he had, great humility that he, he, he demonstrates is uh, really great for pastors. It's a great, it's a great thing for all of us pastors to, uh, to, to study from because Paul had great humility. And we're going to start, start to see that here this evening in Romans 15, 17 where Paul's going to say he possessed the feeling of pride because he was a servant of Christ with respect to the things which concern the Father. And so this verse is going to start giving more and more information about Paul's ministry and giving us insight, which is a great instruction for, all, for pastors and, and for all of us, for that matter, because it talks about his attitude toward Christian service, and which we're all involved in, not just pastors. Everybody's involved in Christian service. So we're going to see that where he's going to break up this theme that uh, you know humility basically is thinking about the interests of others. You're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about other people. And that's what Paul was all about. He thought, thought about the things of God, what was important to God, and what was important for the people, the congregations that he had established in the Roman Empire, about the, you know, the people that he, he ministered to, and that was his up, utmost concern. He did everything he could for these people in ministry, and he made great sacrifices, we're going to see, and he, had, he, was, he was a man that was totally devoted to God's people and to God's cause. So this is going to be a great, I think you'll enjoy this class. So should we get uh, Romans 15, 14, let's take that moment of silent prayer. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, another day to study your word, to learn of your plan. We thank you, Father, for gracing us out and giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because of our union and identification with your Son. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives from regeneration to resurrection and appropriating for us the moment of our conversion to Christianity and trusting in your Son as Savior, appropriating for us everything that your Son did with his death and resurrection. 
We thank you, Father, for the completed canon of Scripture, the Bible and the Spirit's ministry in guiding us and directing us in the application of the Word and giving us understanding and illumination. We just thank you, Father, for this, uh, uh, this uh, great uh, treasure that you've given us and revealing yourself and your ways to us and what you require of us and also your plan for the human race and your plan of salvation. And thank you for this ministry that you've given us and gracing us out, this gospel ministry. And we just lift up uh, the leadership of this church. We just pray, Father, for them. And we just pray, Father, that you would continue to give us wisdom and the moral courage to lead this congregation so we could minister to your people, bring glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ, and minister to the unsaved. We uh, thank you for the individuals that you raised up with positive volition that are faithful giving their time, talent, and treasure and praying for this ministry and are uh, giving for this ministry. And we just pray, Father, for them and thank you for them. We also, uh, we also thank you for those in the chapel this evening and those that are listening on the internet or on PalTalk or at a later date on the website, visiting the site or listening to CDs. We thank you for all those individuals in Africa and, and around in Texas and, and Rhode Island, Massachusetts and other parts of this world. We just thank, in the Philippines, we thank you for all of them. And we just pray, Father, that you would help us in this service, give grace to the communicator, empower him to deliver your full counsel so that your people would be ministered to, to, ministered to and you and your son, Jesus Christ, would be lifted up and glorified. So, Father, we pray for these things in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, as I noted this uh, earlier this evening, we're going to study Romans fifteen seventeen In this passage, Paul's going to present an inference from his teaching in verse 16 that he possessed the feeling of pride because he was a servant of Christ with respect to the things which concern the Father. Now, as I said before, this is going to be a great verse, and the next several verses are going to be a great, give us great insight into the, Paul, the Apostle Paul's uh, attitude toward Christian service, Christian ministry. This is a great, as I said before, great uh, class to begin with in regards to if you, you think you have the gift to pass the teacher or you are a pastor or just the, if you're just somebody who is a Christian because all Christians are involved in Christian service. And it, give, it tells you uh, in these next several verses, Paul's going to tell us the proper attitude that he, uh, that he had toward ministry and also what he relied on. And that he relied on, you know, he's going to talk about the secret of his ministry was Christ, he was aware of the fact and was dependent upon Christ working through him in the power of the Spirit. So if we're going to uh, perform Christian service that's going to be rewarded at the Bema Seat, and if we're going to do things that glorify God, and we're going to act like Christ in Christian service, it has to be Christ manifesting himself in our lives through the power of the Spirit. And that happens when you obey the Word of God, when you're obeying the voice of the Spirit, which is speaking to us through the Word of God. So with this verse is going to talk a lot about, uh, give us some, uh, an, uh, the attitude of the Apostle Paul. It's also going to reveal the great humility of the, the Apostle Paul. So look at Romans fifteen fourteen. with that being said. And concerning you, my brethren, he says, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God. To the, now we have a purpose clause in verse 16. For the express purpose or to be a minister of Christ Jesus, this is why God gave him the gift of apostleship. That's what grace talks about in verse 16 or 15. To be a minister, verse 16, of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles for their benefit. Ministering as a priest, the gospel of God, 
so that my offering of the Gentiles may become, or as we saw, so that they might cause themselves to be acceptable and sanctified, or by means of uh, being sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what we see there is Paul is considering his, his ministry to the Gentiles as a sacred duty. To communicate the gospel is a sacred d- duty. When you're communicating the word of God, to, when I say the uh, gospel, it's synonymous with the word of God. In relation to the unsaved, the good, the gospel is the good news that you can receive the forgiveness of your sins and be delivered from sin, Satan, and his cosmic system through faith alone and Christ alone. And the good news is for the Christian, in relation to the Christian, the gospel is that you can experience this deliverance from sin, Satan, and his cosmic system. You can experience that deliverance by obeying the word of God, by obeying the teaching of the apostle Paul, taking it on faith, that you're crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with Christ, as we saw last evening in our study of that uh, verse 16, and the phrase sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We talked about the doctrine of sanctification. So we see that Paul considered the presenting the gospel as a sacred duty, so anybody who teaches the gospel, who presents the gospel, is performing a sacred duty. And everything that you do, as, a, as those who support the pastor in getting the gospel out, every, everything you do in serving and giving financially or praying for this ministry or giving of your time for this ministry in whatever way you do or service, is, is actually proliferating the gospel. Everything that we must do in ministry has to revolve around that, that we're trying to get the gospel out. Whatever means that God has given us in our day and age, it's an exciting time because we have much greater technology than they did in the first century. We can go around the globe 24-7 and in a click of a mouse they could hear the gospel from Af- in Africa or in the Philippines or wherever or they could put on a CD. Uh, today we can, we can hit the whole globe whereas Paul had to put miles and miles and miles on foot, ship, on back of a horse and a donkey. He did whatever ways they had to travel, which was very crude compared to our day and age. And he, and we're going to talk about what he did in his traveling. It is absolutely amazing. In fact, they, the different, the distance he covered from Jerusalem to Alaricum is, is, is like the miles I traveled from Massachusetts to Iowa. But it's actually probably greater because he was going back and forth and all over the place. So who, how, who knows how many thousands of miles this guy had put on. And he didn't have a car or a plane. But we got it a lot easier in our day and age in the sense that we have technology and we can reach around the globe. And there are actually people in, in other cor- other side of the world, Fletcher and uh, Carol Ann, Mike Fletcher and Carol Ann, and they're on the other side of the world. I don't know, what is it? today is tomorrow for, the, uh, for them right now, right? So we're, we're, that's amazing. You know, Paul would be freaking out, like he'd be so excited if he had that in his day and age. He'd be saying... You know, he would be one of those guys pushing the internet. He'd be push, 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 push. Do this, do that. And, and that, because it's such an exciting thing, you know, that, because we're in the end times and I think, you know, this, you know, the gospel is, the world is going to be, uh, has been filled with the gospel and it's, and they're going to different parts of the world. They're translating, you know, all these different languages. That they, that they never did before. The whole world is being filled with a gospel message. And it's a sacred duty that we have. It's the most important thing that we could do in our lives. It's the most important thing you could ever do is to be a part of a doctrinal ministry and support that ministry with your time, talent, and treasure and your prayers. And to be a pastor, to be a, a, who's given the, the 
the honor and the privilege to do this. What a great privilege any pastor has been given that he could be teaching the gospel. And I've said this to my friend, uh, the guy I got ordained with, Jim Ricard. There are many times I sit there, what is God doing having me as a pastor? I mean, you know, what was he thinking? You know, is he like, you know, and Jim would always say, yeah, that's what I think sometimes. Like, you sit there and you go, you know, how, you know, it just truly God is a God of grace because here we are teaching, you know, presenting the gospel and we know that we're wicked sinners just like everybody else. And it's amazing that God could use wicked sinners to communicate his word. It's just, it's just mind-blowing. So God is a gracious God and Paul really appreciated that God would bestow upon him this great honor and privilege of being an apostle to the Gentiles, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim Christ to the, to the Gentiles throughout the Roman Empire. Now look at he says in verse 17. Therefore, key word, because it, it indicates that the statement in verse 17 is an inference from verse 16. Therefore, in Romans, he says in verse 17, therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting and things pertaining to God. Now that statement is a result is a result of an inference, as I said earlier, from his statement in verse 16. So what, what does that mean? Well, he would be saying this, therefore, based upon this fact, that he is a servant of Christ Jesus for the benefit of the Gentiles and serves the gospel like a priest in order that the Gentiles would cause themselves to be acceptable to the Father by being sanctified by the Spirit. He possesses a feeling of pride in things pertaining to God. Or in other words, everything he said in verse 16, that statement in verse 17, he says, in Christ Jesus I have found boasting for things pertaining to to God. That statement is based upon what he said in verse 16. What does he say in verse 16? I'm a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. I minister as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, verse 17, I boast about that. I boast about the fact that I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. So, in Christ Jesus, that prepositional phrase there in verse 17 indicates that Paul found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God because of, or on the basis of, or based upon the fact that he is a servant of Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, it has that what we call uh, a, uh, an ellipsis, or even metonymy, you could say. But he, he, when he says, in, in Christ Jesus, he's saying, because I'm a, a, a servant of Christ Jesus. Because in verse 16, that's what he mentions. He mentions his servanthood, be, to, uh, that I'm a minister of Christ Jesus, a servant of Christ Jesus. So his statement in verse 17 is an inference from verse 16. Thus, we can see that in Christ Jesus... Is, 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 is causal. He's saying, on the basis of the fact that I'm a servant to Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. So the Bible talks about boasting. It talks about boasting in what God has done through you and what God has provided for you and is doing through you and, the, and boasting in what God and the things pertaining to God in the gospel. Now, when he says, I have found, that's the word Eho, and that means to possess a particular attitude of feeling that is identified by the noun cohesis, uh, uh, which is uh, which is translated reason for boasting. Reason for boasting, cohesis, cohesis, excuse me, refers to that which Paul takes pride in, and not the act of Paul taking pride. It talks about what he takes pride in, which is his being a servant to Christ Jesus. Now, if he wanted to emphasize the action of taking pride in something, he would have employed the verb kalf and that word 
uh, he instead he uses eho, I have, because he wants to emphasize a particular attitude he possesses. So when he, that phrase, I have found, that's talking about his attitude. In the original, the word's talking about, I possess a particular attitude. I have a great, uh, possess a certain feeling, a particular attitude. So, the word in Romans fifteen seventeen here, eho, translated I have, I have found, excuse me, is used in a good sense of the legitimate and justifiable pride of the Apostle Paul that he was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are there things in the Bible we can be boasting of and be proud of? The Bible says absolutely. Uh, it says in Jeremiah, Paul quotes it in 1 Corinthians 2. If, if you boast, boast in that you know me, Jesus, the Bible says. Boast that you know the Lord. And so if you want something to brag, I know the Lord. And also, what God has done for you. There's a justifiable and legitimate pride that is taught in the scriptures by Paul here. And that is that he was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many times have we ever boasted that? To anybody, have we ever? That we boasted that we're a, a servant of Christ Jesus? That's what Paul boasted of. Now, this pride in the fact that he's a servant of Jesus Christ... It's a legitimate and justifiable pride because it's an acknowledgement of a fact and magnifies the Lord Jesus Christ and not himself, emphasizing that Paul is subordinate to the Lord Jesus Christ as his servant. This word speaks of the pleasure and the satisfaction that Paul derived from the fact that he was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he regarded as honorable because it gave credit to the Lord and not himself. Now, he says, in things pertaining to God. If you look at the verse, verse 17, therefore, we could say, instead of in Christ Jesus, to bring out the causal idea, on the basis of the fact that I'm a, 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 servant, of Christ Jesus, a servant of Christ Jesus, I have found, or I possess a feeling, or an attitude of, of pride, in things pertaining to God. Things is the definite article O, and it refers to Paul's statements in verse 16. Because his statement in verse 17 is an inference from his statement in verse 16. And what he says in verses 18 and 19 is elaborating on his statement here in verse 17. Now, if that's the case, if the word things is talking about what he's mentioned in verse 16, this is what Paul had a feeling of pride in. One, he received from the Father the spiritual gift of apostleship for the express purpose of serving Christ for the benefit of the Gentiles. Two, Paul served the Father's gospel as a priest in order to bring about the sanctification of the Gentiles. He was proud of his ministry. He had a great sense of pride in his ministry. He was serving Jesus Christ and his cause in the world to tell the world all about Jesus Christ. That is the, he's felt a tremendous pride of that and is, that's what every Christian should have, that sense of pride from the pastor on down, serving Jesus Christ, getting the gospel out, because that is a legitimate and justifiable pride. Why? Because it magnifies the Lord Jesus Christ. It magnifies who God is and what he's provided for us. And it does not give credit to self. And Paul was never, ever, ever, ever would like to give credit for himself. In fact, in First and Second Corinthians, he says some things that he, is, he, uh, he didn't really want to say, but he had to say to teach the Corinthians... And he had to actually tell them uh, what sacrifices he made in ministry. And yet they were disrespecting him. And they, they didn't even throw him money, the Corinthians. And he would say, look it, I've done a lot of things. And I hate that. I'm, I'm not saying this to, to draw attention to myself. 
But you people need to get a little reality check that, you know, I would, you, you are my epistle. You are my ministry. I love you. I have done everything I can for you. Made great sacrifices for you. And you show me, and yet you show love to the Judaizers and not me. And I, and he, Paul made great sacrifices for these people, but they never showed their appreciation to him. And he had to, he had to actually talk about himself what he didn't like to do. Talk about himself in order to teach them something. So it's, it's kind of interesting. We might go to that patch, passage later. But he had a great pride in his ministry. So when he says in verse 17, Therefore in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. Things is referring to what Paul said in verse 16. He, therefore, when it says things, he's talking about him receiving the spiritual gift of apostleship for the express purpose of serving Christ for the benefit of the Gentiles and also serving the Father's gospel as a priest in order to bring about the sanctification of the Gentiles. Now, pertaining to God, that indicates that the connection between Paul's gospel ministry to the Gentiles and the Father's plan of salvation, marking this plan, God's plan of salvation, as a point of reference for this Christian service. Thus, it refers to Paul being a servant of Christ for the benefit of the Gentiles, serving the, gospel, the Father's gospel as a priest in order that his offering, namely the Gentiles, would cause themselves to be acceptable to the Father by being sanctified by means of the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul's pride is virtuous. It's justifiable. It's legitimate. And that it's based upon the function of the spiritual gift of apostleship that the Father gave him and through his Son and the Spirit at the moment of his conversion for the express purpose of his being a servant of Christ for the benefit of the Gentiles. This pride of Paul's is virtuous and justifiable and legitimate for another reason, because it's based upon the communication of the gospel to the Gentiles and which gospel didn't originate from Paul. It originated from the Father and if obeyed, would bring about their sanctification by means of the power of the Holy Spirit. So what we're seeing here is that Paul was proud of what God gave him. He gave him the gift of apostleship. He didn't, he didn't have that gift prior to conversion. So that, how can he boast about himself? He's got to boast about the gift that God gave him. And in the gospel, he can't boast in himself because he didn't have, that's not his message, that's Jesus' message, that's the Father's message, that's the Holy Spirit's message, the gospel. He can't boast about the, 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 uh, the, uh, the Gentile believers being sanctified because they're not sanctified because of him. They're sanctified because of the power of the Holy Spirit which he communicated in the gospel and which resides in the Gentile believers. So everything, in fact, if you ask Paul, and it's true, is that even the, how can he could take credit for anything? The body has been given to us. Our human bodies have been given to us. Our mental capacity, our ability to think, to understand, to apply and learn God's word. All that has been given to us. The bodies that we have, what do we have that wasn't given to us? Even the decisions we make are non-meritorious. Okay, so we, we believe in the gospel. There's nothing meritorious about that. This, what saved us was the object of our faith and the spirit. How can we boast about anything? We have, nothing we have is our own. It's been given to us. That's why God says to us, don't use your body for immorality. Use it to serve him. Everything, why? Because everything is his. Musical talent. If you have musical talent, how can you boast about anything? God gave you the music. 
he gave you the guitar, he gave you the... I mean, think about it. I, mean, I sit there and I get embarrassed. I go, you know, people say, they just show the appreciation for the music, but quite frankly, bring glory, glorify God. Because God gave, if I, if I have any talent at all, God gave me the talent. He gave me the music. He gave me the guitar. He gave me the, the microphone. He gave me the voice. He gave me the body. He gave me an audience to sing to. What, what did I have that I, what do I have that I could boast about? Nothing. That's what Paul's trying to say. I have pride in what God has done through me. Not who I am, but what God is doing through me. In fact, if you look at, uh, if you look at Romans 15 and look at, look at verse, uh, verse 18. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. So he never would presume to speak, boast about anything about himself, <clears throat> his accomplishments. If he's ever accomplished anything, it's Christ working through him in the power of the Spirit. So if, if I've ever done anything out here in, this, in Iowa, it ain't me. I look back at some of the things I was talking to somebody today. Did I really do that? Because that, that, if I had my, if it was really me and my sin nature, I would never have done that. If I, if I was, you know, that wasn't, if, you, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to say, how did I do this? How did I do that? When you look back and you say, because, you know, you're saying in your flesh, I would have never have acted that way. I've never would have spoken that way in my sin nature because it had to be Christ working through me in the Spirit because I don't think that, I wouldn't have, you know, done that in my sin nature and my flesh. So let's face it. If we ever do anything for God, it's because, and it counts for God, and God considers it divine good. It was all because of everything he gave us that we used. We don't have any merit. Everything that we have, all the talents that you have, has been given to you by God. Everything you have, everything you own. So what can we boast about? Paul, that's his great humility. That's the secret to ministry. God brings in people. God brings in finances. God brings in assets. God does it all. He uses his people, filled with the Spirit, those people, to, to, to accomplish what he wants to do in the world. He, every, the, the gift to pass the teacher, that, that was given to me by God. I don't, how can I take credit for anything? God, God, that's his gift. His Spirit. His Word. This message doesn't originate with me. Paul says the same. Paul says it right there. It, the gospel is God's. The gospel is God's. The Gentiles are God. Their sanctification is God. Is, is, belongs to God. Everything, the message, my gift, everything is all God's. And I'm just being a good steward with it. Christ is working through me in the power of the Spirit. That's the secret to ministry. And this pride, again, of Paul's is virtuous and justifiable, justifiable and legitimate because it's also based upon the communication of the gospel to the Gentiles and which gospel originated from the Father, and if obeyed, would bring about their sanctification by means of the power of the Spirit. Thus his pride was based upon a gift from the Father, his being made a servant of Christ, his Son, and the communication of the gospel that originated from the Father, and the sanctification of the Gentiles that was based upon the power of the Holy Spirit. The sancti- if the Christians grow to spirit, if the, if the if the Gentiles go to spiritual maturity, it's because of the it's power of the Spirit. If they experience their sanctification, it's because of the power of the Spirit. Not, not, not the pastor, per se. He's the one God used to, 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 to get the gospel to them, to get the word of God to them. But he was just using his gift that God gave him. 
So everywhere God gets the glory, see? That is a blow to human pride. That's the greatest thing that we have to fight, is pride and arrogance. And the biggest problem in the ministry is, is arrogance. Let's face it, the hardest thing I have to deal with is arrogance. Is arrogance in the kingdom of darkness my, by my own arrogance. And now you could say the same thing because you have the same problem I have. Sin nature. It's arrogance. And the one thing, the secret, is following Christ's example, following in the Spirit. Because if you're following in the Spirit, you won't think about yourself. You will be so occupied with the Lord. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're occupied with the Lord, the things of God, doing His will, serving His people, and you won't think about yourself. You, sh- you, sh- you won't. You won't think twice about yourself. You'll be too occupied about other people and God. That's ministry. That's ministry. And so pride and arrogance is when we are selfish and self-centered and it's all about us. And, it, it, you, know, it, it, we, you know, we, we, it's all about us and we're selfish and self-centered. You can't serve God like that. That's why you have to confess the sin and listen to what the Spirit says. And in it, 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 it sacrifice, it, it's being a, a, a good servant of Christ involves self-sacrifice and self-denial. You know, if it doesn't cost you anything in ministry, think about what you're doing. If it never costs you anything, if it doesn't cost you any sleep at any time, if it doesn't cost you time with your family, if it doesn't cost you money, if it doesn't cost you, if it doesn't cost you, it's not service. Because Jesus called us to deny self and take up our cross daily, which meant sacrifice and self-denial. And Paul knew that. But that's the secret to a happy life. That is the secret to a happy life. The world says the secret to a happy life is getting everything that you want. Getting every woman that you want, every, if you're a, every guy that you want, having all the money that you want, having all the, the big home, having the this, that, and the other. That's going to make me happy. And the approbation from people. And it is a, it's, it's vanity of vanity, as, as Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. It's not the secret that's what Satan says. That's what his world says. And Christian service is the antithesis. And Jesus set us an example and the spirit that's been given to us and the word of God give us the ability to follow in his footsteps and act just like Jesus did. Jesus was all about other people. Jesus didn't have any money for himself. On the cross, did he have any change in his thing? When they went to ask them about, you know, did your servant pay the temple tax, Peter? Did Peter go, did Jesus go, let me get this, uh, you know, give me, let me give you 10 bucks so we can pay you off the taxes. He didn't have it. He said, go throw a line out there. That's what Jesus thought about the money. In fact, his treasure was embezzling money and Jesus knew it. You think Jesus was cared about money? No, he cared about God's will and he cared about serving people and helping them. He didn't care anything about himself. So everything that Paul was proud of was based upon what God had done for him and through him. And it was not based upon who he was in himself or what he had done. Let me repeat that. Everything that Paul was proud of was based upon what God had done for him, through him, and was not based upon who he was in himself or what he had done. He was serving Christ, the Father's gospel, using a gift from the Father and the power of the Spirit to bring about the sanctification of the Gentiles. There was nothing, there was nothing that Paul could take credit for, but only that which God has done for him and through him. 
Have you ever sat there and go, well, you know, I did this and, you know, I did that. And, you know, you're, you're talking about, and you sit there and go, I've done that. And go, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. You're in it. What did you ever do? If you did that, that's not going to be taking credit for God. It's God. God, Christ working through you is where it's all about. You did nothing. How can you take credit for anything? It's Christ working through you in the power of the Spirit. You can take credit for nothing. We like to take credit for everything. We like to take, take the glory away from God. It's humbling. It's humbling. It's hum- you have to be humble. You have to be humble to be a servant. So there was nothing that Paul could take credit for, but only that which God had done for him and through him. This passage, Romans 15 and 17, emphasizes that Paul did not communicate the gospel to make a name for himself, or to gain the approbation of men, or his contemporaries, but rather to bring glory to Christ and the Father. Again, Romans 15 17, emphasizes that Paul did not communicate the gospel to make a name for himself. He could kill us or to gain the approbation of men or his contemporaries, but rather to bring glory to Christ and the Father. A lot of pastors, a lot of pastors, people teach the word of God. I'll tell you right now, they're looking to gain attention from their contemporaries. They write articles for theological journals to just impress their contemporaries. They're not, they're not serving anybody. They, they, they make a boast about how many bus ministries they have and how many people are coming to their church. Come, whoever comes to your church, that doesn't mean you're a success. How do you know those people? Do you know all, why all the reason why those people are coming to your church? Oh, they're coming because I'm such a great pastor. I'm a great teacher of the Word of God. Or is it because they? You know, is it because of other things? Is it really because is your ministry a success because you have a lot of people, or you don't, are you a success because you don't have a lot of people? It has, numbers has nothing to do with it. The numbers has nothing. to do What makes you a success in ministry is that Christ is working in you through the power of the Spirit, whether it's. 100,000 people or is 10 people? What difference does the numbers make? That doesn't determine if you're a success. How much money your your, your ministry's taken in, that doesn't mean you're a success. That doesn't mean you're a success at all. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. What matters is Christ working in you and the power of the Spirit. So Romans, again, I love this this point. This passage, Romans 15, 17, emphasizes, emphasizes that Paul didn't communicate the gospel to make a name for himself or to gain the approbation of men or his contemporaries. All he was trying to please and impress was Jesus. That's why I say, you know, people can criticize you. And you know what? It's good to hear criticism because even the criticism that was unfair that I've ever heard, I actually would actually consider it. It might be upset me at first, but eventually I might say, you know, I could do something there, you know, and, uh, and make changes, and I have. But, you know, what determines, you know, my self-esteem... And no, your self-esteem shouldn't be based upon the fact that somebody is, is uh, your, your, your self-esteem is based upon somebody's opinion of you. It, you know, first of all, God, is, as we saw last evening, already accepted us. And he's the one who's going to determine if our service is acceptable or not. And God brings in people and circumstances to tell you you're doing a good job. He works through people. He might do something and say, yeah, this is, and he answer you, am I doing a good job? And, he'll, and, and somebody will say something or something like that through this, the power of the Spirit. And God's giving you comfort there. Or in the Scriptures, he's, he's, you're, the Holy Spirit's telling you, yeah, you're doing a good job as you read the Scripture. Or no, you're not doing a good job. Now, the message of the Gospel, again, didn't originate with Paul, but with the Father. 
The spiritual gift he used to communicate the gospel did not originate with him, but again with the Father. He did not serve himself, but Christ and the Gentiles. He did not serve himself, but rather the gospel that originated with the Father. So Romans 15, 17 is revealing the great humility of the Apostle Paul, which is demonstrated by the fact that he did not put his own selfish interests ahead of others, but rather he put the interests of the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Gentiles ahead of himself. Again, he had this verse is teaching us the great humility of Paul. He didn't put his own selfish interests ahead of others. He put the interests of the Father in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Gentiles ahead of himself. He didn't think about himself to the point of self-sacrifice. Look, uh, let's go to a couple of passages. Look at Philippians. Hold your place. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Philippians 2, 1. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and all these are first-class conditions in verse 1, so the answer you could respond is, and there is. If there's any consolation of love, and there is. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, and there is. If any infection and compassion, and there is. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He's saying that because in Philippians 4, Yodia and Syntyche, two women who helped Paul out and were great servants as well, had a little bit of personality conflict. There was a little bit of a cat fight there. So his comments here, and they were a great church, they were great givers. He mentions them as the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8 who gave out of their poverty. Not out of their riches, but out of their poverty. And they begged that he could, that they could give to the collection for the poor Jewish saints in Jerusalem. These people were great. So he's trying to, make, uh, to, to, to bring together this church and look at what he says here. Because humility will keep a church united. Arrogance will break it up. Look at verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, what is that? How, what is humility of mind? Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude of humility that was in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality God with a, th- a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself or made himself of no reputation, taking the, by taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even a death on the cross. Christ is the perfect example of humility, and humility means you put others ahead of yourself. There it is. Perfect example is Jesus Christ. And look at what he did. What was the, Jesus doing? Serving the Father. It was the Father's will. He goes to the cross. And what was he also doing that at the same time? Serving us. Serving the entire world. Giving himself as a ransom for... He, he, Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for, for many. Mark ten forty five. Service. Serving. Putting others ahead of self. That's Christian service. That's what Paul knew. And that's what he gives as an example, Christ. And he goes on to give, uh, he goes on to other, give other guys later on in the chapter, like Epaphroditus and Timothy, who make great sacrifices. But I want to talk about Paul here. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is an amazing chapter. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. 
1 Corinthians 9.1. In this chapter, Paul is defending his apostleship because evidently the Corinthians were questioning it. They were accepting the Judaizers who came with a lot of pomp and circumstances. They boasted about their degrees in theology down in, in Jerusalem. And they boasted about them being knowledgeable of the law. And Paul says, you know, I, I don't boast in, in pieces of pa- what people think of me or what men, what men have to say about me. I boast in my relationship with God and you. You're my epistle. You're my mark for the fact that I'm apostle of Jesus Christ. You are my fruit. You are my offering to God. And he also talks about them. He, as I said earlier, he was so unselfish. He was so absorbed in helping, in doing the Lord's business and helping God's people and getting the word of truth to them. He never, he would, he would deny himself things that he legitimately had a right to demand from the Corinthians as a communicator of the word of God. But he didn't because he didn't want to put any stumbling block ahead of the gospel. That's his great humility. Look at, look at it says in 1 Corinthians 9, 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Of course. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? He had. Are you not my work in the Lord? Yes. If to others I'm an, I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in, in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me, judge me, is this. Do we have a right to eat and drink? Yes. Do we have, do we not have a right to take along a believing wife? And as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, that's Peter, they all had wives. Peter didn't. Why? So he could be totally dedicated to the service of the Lord. Verse six, or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? See, Paul didn't want to burden the Corinthians because money was a big problem with them. They were stingy. And he would say, I'm not even going to let, I'm going to go to work. Even though I have a right to make my living from the gospel, I'm a tent maker, I'm going to go get a job, and I don't want anybody saying that I'm trying to take money away from people, or that I'm begging money, or I'm a, I'm a crook. He didn't want anybody to give any reason not to hear his gospel. Some people, they won't listen to you so, because of money. So he, didn't, he took money out of the equation. Look at it says in verse 7. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who, no one does. Who plans, who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I'm not speaking, I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law, the word of God also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while thresh, he is threshing. Is God, God is not concerned about oxen, is he? No, he's talking about communicators of the word of God like Paul. Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written. Because the plowman ought to plow in hope. And the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, teaching you the word of God, is it too much if we reap material things from you? No, it's not too much. If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right. This is what I'm talking about is humility. We didn't use this right. This means humility. Remember we talked about this in Romans 14? Humility and service, many times, you have to call upon to deny yourself legitimate things. Paul's saying, I had a right to have a wife. I don't. I had a right to demand a salary from you. Word of God says I can. But I didn't do that. Because I know I don't want money to become an issue for you people. I don't want anything to hinder the gospel among you. 
So I deny myself that. That's humility. Verse 12. If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we do not use this right. But we endure all things so that, we'll, that we will cause no hindrance to the cause of the gospel of Christ. That tells you Paul thought of others. He thought about the Lord. He didn't want anybody to, the, the gospel to be hindered. That's humility. He's putting, he's putting others ahead of himself. If he, was putting him, if he was putting himself first, he would have demanded a salary from them. Look at verse 13. Do, do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple? And those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Where does it say in the Bible that pastors should get a living from the gospel? Right there. And 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18 says the same thing. But look what he says. That's not the point. I'm not, not, that's not the point I want to make. I want to show you what Paul's attitude toward these things were. Look at verse 15. But I have used none of these things. And I'm not writing these. He, he, the money that was owed him from the Corinthians, that they, from the, according to the word of God, should have given him, he didn't demand it of them because he was putting them ahead. He was putting them ahead of himself. He knew that they would have a problem with money. So we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not going to make money an issue, even though it's going to cost me a few bucks. That's humility. But I have used none of these things, and, I'm, and, and I, I am not writing these things, so that it will be done so in my case. So he's saying, hey, I'm mentioning these things, not so you can start giving me money. I'm not saying it for my selfish interest. I'm saying this to teach you something here. Look what he says. For it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted me. What, what, what then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So he denied himself his rights. That's humility. Jesus is God. He denied himself the rights of worship. He, he could have demanded worship from everybody, but he denied his rights. So he's teaching us about ministry. And you can't do this, people. And no, I can't do this. It's all the spirit because it's supernatural. We, we're selfishly, we're inherently selfish. So it, it, that's why if we look at Paul, what we see there is Paul is being spirit-driven. That's why he could do the things that he did. He was driven by the Spirit to do God's will, and he would do it at the sake, at a great sacrifice to himself. It cost him a salary. I mean, he, he had to go out and work and do the ministry and never complained about it. Humility is subordinating oneself, one's self-interest to the best interests of others. If you want to be a servant of the, of the Lord, you've got to put others' interests ahead of yourself. And it might cost you it might cost you time with your family. You might have to leave your family. You might have to have, lose money. You might have to lose some money in a job. You might not have to. You might, sacri you might not be able to get that job. You may not be able to take that promotion because it's going to hinder you getting the gospel out. It may. It, you, you're going to have. It may cost you a friendship. It might cost you time with with loved ones. It may cost you time. It's a sacrifice. Humility is subordinating one's self-interest to the best interests of others. Isn't that what we just read about Paul? Paul's statement in Romans 15, 17 reveals that he possesses a humble 
servant's mentality as his Savior did. Foot washing ceremony. John 13. I think we read that last week. Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28. He taught his apostles, hey, the greatest among you is the one who's serving. So you want to know if somebody's great in the kingdom of God? Jesus says the perfect way to identify that person, that man or woman. Are they serving? Are they, who are they? Are they serving? Are they serving at a sacrifice? Are they denying self? Are they, is it costing them? And are they, they, they totally consumed about other people and the Lord's work? That's, that's a servant. That's a great person in the kingdom of God. That's what God says. And Paul was one of those people. He was a great, great man of God. He was great in the kingdom of God because he was a servant. And he was a servant because he put interests of others ahead of his own interests. The humility of Paul, as expressed, the humility of Paul, as expressed in Romans 15, verses 14 through 19, was demonstrated by the fact that he recognized that he depended upon who and what God is and what he had provided for him to execute his will. So, true humility recognizes that we're nothing in ourselves, but we're significant based upon who and what God is in our union with Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Are you still in 2 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians. Okay, go to 2 Corinthians. This is the last passage. Look at 2 Corinthians, maybe. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. You know, I, I, I sit there and I go, uh, you know, you watch certain, um, you know, televangelists. You know, no way so many people are turned off from Christianity. But, but these guys are just so, I mean, I, there's one guy that he would have, they had him on 60 Minutes. And he's got, I mean, this guy has not denied himself anything. Guy's got humongous, great suits. He's, you know, he lives, he had two mansions. That's like, you know, let me get there. That, that money should be going to the gospel. As my father used to say, when you get the big mansion, I mean, that's showing off. Let's face it. You're trying to impress somebody or something. I mean, who are you trying to impress? Do you really need all that? I mean, do you really need all that? This guy needed two houses? He didn't have a, a 15... He didn't have the Waltons as a family. <laughs> Mary Lou, what a whore they were. John Boy. But the guy was just... It was just arrogance is what it was. And it looked terrible. And, I mean, I don't deny a guy if he wants to make a living from the gospel, it says that. But there's a point where it's like, you know, that should be poured into the ministry. I mean, do you, I mean it's a point where how much is too much? Is that, that, that was too much. That's being extravagant. And his, he's a part of this guy. I'm not going to name him. He was, he's a part of that prosperity gospel. See, God's blessing me. God's working through me. Look at all the money I got. Look at the big houses. Look at the thing. That's how he measures his ministry, how much he owns and possesses, and how much is in the checking account. But look at look at Second uh, Corinthians three one. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you're a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the Living God, not on the tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. So he's saying, well, a pastor could say he's teaching the Word of God. You got, for instance, with Titus, Jody, Barbara and Don, Diana, and these people, Michelle, don't say, you're my heart. You're my, you're my, you're my letter. You're, that's what he's saying here to the Corinthians. You, my, you, the, you who I fed the word of God and cared for like a, like a mother in a nurse, in nursing a child, you are my letter, he's saying. 
I don't have to have the seminary telling me that, uh, uh, that they're giving me a PhD for being something to prove that I'm a minister of Christ. You in my congregation are the ones that prove that I'm a minister of Christ Jesus. Because the Spirit is writing on your heart. Look at verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy comes from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses <clears throat> because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with, the, with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation is glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Now, true humility, again, recognizes that we're nothing in ourselves, but we're significant based upon who and what God is in our union with Christ. Our service as Christians is significant and important, not because of who we are, but rather it is significant and important because it is the Father's will that we serve Him and others. True humility recognizes that success in ministry is dependent upon God's message, His power to affect the conversion of sinners and the transformation of their character to Christ-likeness. Secret to, humil- to, secret to a successful ministry is this, God's message. The message of the gospel Not your opinion, not philosophy, not psychology. The gospel, the word of God, the Bible. Our true success in ministry is dependent upon God's message. It's on his power to affect the conversion of sinners. And it's his power that affects the transformation of a believer's character to the image of Christ, Christ Christ-likeness. And finally, true humility, as demonstrated in the life of the Apostle Paul, recognizes that we are nothing but instruments in the hands of Almighty God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We just pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would challenge us with the things that we've heard and help us and guide us in the application. And we pray that this lesson would be a great blessing to the body of Christ. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, we'll take a few-minute break, and then we'll have our prayer meeting.